Business of Discovery, a clinical research podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. My name is Alan Goh, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Jenny Donovan, who is the Professor of Social Medicine at the University of Bristol. Professor Donovan has worked in Bristol since 1990. From 2005 to 2010, she was head of the Department of Social Medicine and then head of the School of Social and Community Medicine until September 2012. She is an NIHR senior investigator, a fellow of the Academy of Medical Sciences, an academician of the Academy of Social Sciences, and a fellow of the Faculty of Public Health. In 2013, she was also awarded an OBE for her services to social medicine. Professor Donovan, thank you so much for speaking to us today on this podcast. Thank you. Now you have a wide range of research interests, but I would like to focus on one aspect of your work, if I may, that of your methodological research that attempts to improve the design and conduct of randomised controlled trials of healthcare interventions using qualitative research methods. In particular, you and your team have written a lot about clinical trial recruitment. And in a recent paper, you concluded, for example, that communicating equipoise is a challenging process that is easily disrupted. Clinicians' personal views about trial treatments encroached on their ability to convey equipoise to patients. So can I begin by asking you about that? First, what exactly do you mean in that context by equipoise? Yes, it's a a rather curious uh, word, isn't it, and quite a complex um, uh, concept. There's quite quite a lot of work theoretically about uh, what equipoise means, and it's um, it's it, it, it's a word that uh, essentially means uh, uncertainty, and it's of, often people prefer uncertainty to equipoise because before a trial is undertaken, uh, there has to be an understanding that uh, there's uh, it, it's not cl- it's not clear what treatment a patient should receive. And so there's uncertainty about which is the best uh, option for them. And that is uh, essentially what's known as equipoise. It sounds quite straightforward, but it, it's much more difficult than that because, of course, um, uh, an individual patient coming in, uh, a clinician uh, needs to have that uncertainty or that equipoise about an individual patient, or they might have uh, equipoise across a community of experts. So, for example, um, in a group of, of people treating patients for a particular sort of cancer, there might be some people who are extremely um, uh, of the opinion that surgery is the most successful treatment. Others may be passionately certain that radiotherapy is the best treatment. And in a sense, across the whole community, there's some equipoise uh, in the sense that there's uncertainty which of those two is better because the two, there's two groups of people who, who uh, um, think they're certain, but as a group they might agree that it's not completely clear which is, the, which is the best treatment. But when you actually come down to an individual patient coming in to see an individual clinician, both of those people have a different uh, view on that. So first of all, for the clinician, they may have agreed to take part in this randomised trial, which is comparing the two procedures. But they may have always done one procedure for for their entire career, and they may may be able to spend their usual practice, which would be to recommend that treatment or to, to have a discussion with a patient about whether that's the right treatment for them, and say that there's there's uncertainty. 
but they will have degrees of that uncertainty or equipoise, so for any individual patient. And there'll be a group of patients that they're absolutely clear could have either treatment, but then there'll be patients uh, that they're less clear about because they, they have uh, an instinct, a clinical instinct or a hunch or experience that some patients will usually do better with one treatment rather than another. So then you get to this situation that we talk about in our work as um, having uh, around the edges of equipoise uh, or the edges of uncertainty. And, and so it, it is, it's, it, while it sounds like a simple um, concept, it's quite complicated in that it involves degrees of uncertainty. Um, uncertainty at all is quite a difficult concept for some clinical practitioners because they're not expect patients don't expect them to be uncertain. Mm. So um, I was going to say that it's, it's almost a, a quite an unnatural state to put yourself into true equipoise, isn't it? Because as you said, most clinicians who are involved in the management of patients in any particular area, as you say, are likely to have experiences that have coloured their practices, hunches, instincts, as you said, even if they don't have hard evidence to base it on. Yes, exactly. And and for each patient that comes through, they have to revisit all those uh, all those views and uh, discomforts. And there'll be some there'll, there'll be some patients that are completely comfortable about uh, going into a trial, but there will be others where it's rather more difficult. And some clinicians will have more difficulty than others. And uh, a lot of clinicians think that they can suspend their own views, but. If you, um, if you listen to what they're saying, they often betray their own uh, preferences or their own uh, experience of which treatment might be best for particular sorts of patients um, in the things that they say. So they, 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 may, they may state that they're in equipoise and able to take part in the trial, but um, for some patients and for some situations, they will end up saying something slightly different. So if the pa patient will often, often say, you know, I'm surprised that you're uncertain. Um, first of all, could you refer me to somebody who is certain? So that's a kind of a, a, a quite an attack um, at a clinician, really, because they're not and they're not used to being um, saying they're uncertain. So they've then got to uh, um, admit to that uncertainty and then explain that uncertainty. And in the process of doing that, the patient may sometimes say, um, "Well, what would you do if you were me then, or if I were your father?" and then it's quite hard for a clinician not to say what they actually think. Um, and they may recommend a treatment or, um, uh, or they may carry on with equipoise. It depends how strongly they believe in the trial or not. And it's in the, it, it is a lot to do with how much they can believe in it. And you know, it's really important to acknowledge how difficult recruitment to trials is. This is, you know, this is a situation where one is balancing evidence, hunches, uh, long-held clinical instincts, uh, there's a busy clinic waiting, lots of patients waiting outside. Um, you're explaining why there's a trial going on, um, trying to keep this position of equipoise. It's a really difficult uh, thing to do. So I can see how um, having a lack of equipoise could impact upon the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. Do we have any hard evidence that it actually does impact in that way? I, th I think, well, hard evidence uh, is 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 quite difficult to find because uh, a lot of these issues aren't really discussed. So all trials will have very clear eligibility criteria, patients that can come in and patients that shouldn't come in. But within that group of patients, there'll be uh, these patients that are in the core group that everybody agrees are uncertain, and then these other patients that people are less clear should come into a trial. 
So that makes this um, uh, situation often difficult. So is there a kind of gatekeeping happening here? You, f you feel that um, people are, are not even being considered for trials because of this lack of expertise? I, I think that probably is happening with some. some. Some clinicians think that they can hold their opinions to one side and then do the recruitment. And we've shown them with um, transcripts of the appointments that actually, you know, part of the way through they suddenly stop and, and recommend a treatment. And mm -hmm. sometimes they don't realise they're doing it because they're expressing um, uh, their, their opinion. And What's the reaction when you do show them those things? Um, it, it varies. So some will, um, some are quite fascinated by the fact that that happens. And, and when they realise that it's happened, some will be able to not say that. They can suspend it. Uh, but sometimes they actually need uh, clinicians need to get together with each other and be share this uh, discomfort around the edges of eligibility for trials. These these patients where the equipoise is, is is maybe not so clear. And we've had meetings where you get clinicians together, and some will say, "Oh well, I wouldn't put them in," and others will say, "Well, why? There's no evidence not to put them in, and um, I put them in." And then they you know they, then they tend to go back to these old views that. Patients do better with uh, one treatment if they have a particular sort of symptom, and then others will say, well, but there's no evidence for that, is there? Mm -hmm. um, and so equipoise isn't static. It's, uh, it can move in a trial. So you can start off with a trial with very poor recruitment because the eligibility is, um, uh, is very narrow. Uh, uh, the equipoise is somewhat narrow, and it can change over time. Do you think there's a, a solution to this problem? I think there's probably not one solution, there are probably, there's probably more than one solution, but something that we do regularly is to get clinicians involved in trials together to talk about these issues. And what's quite remarkable, what was quite remarkable early in the work that we did was that these issues aren't normally discussed openly. Uh, clinicians don't discuss equipoise, um, nobody uses that word normally. Uh, people don't often discuss uncertainty because it's uncomfortable. And very rarely do clinicians get together to discuss where these edges of eligibility or equipoise might be. And so the meetings that we've had to discuss those things have often been very interesting. And clinicians themselves will discuss what uh, the sorts of patients that they include in their sense of equipoise or uncertainty. And they can change their views and change each other's views. Um, so for example, some uh, there are some long-held views that certain procedures are best for patients with a particular sort of symptom. But often another clinician will say, but you know, that we don't have good evidence for that, do we? And, um, and often it will be acknowledged that there's not good evidence, but this is what we've always done. And then someone will say, so do you think we should think again about, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't we go with the evidence? Uh, and then the, the equipoise can um, increase in a trial over time. We've seen that in several of our trials where equipoise started off being quite narrow and, um, uh, and then has expanded um, to include more patients who are, all of whom were technically eligible, um, but can be included in, the, in a conception of equipoise or uncertainty. So really recognising it as a problem is, is the first step. D definitely. Um, what about improved communication skills or is there any mileage in that? Uh, yes, I think there is. I mean, communication skills training isn't um, isn't so widely known, uh, so widely used in in, um, in the medical curriculum, and indeed, there's very little training about research for medical students. So we can provide some uh, advice, some tips, if you like, about how 
to communicate these issues. But really it's about enabling a clinician to understand the complexity of the issues and then working it out for themselves really so that because it, in a sense for equipoise to be well conveyed the first thing is that the clinician has to believe it and uh, if they don't believe that, uh, there is that there is equipoise or uncertainty around these different treatments they won't convey it and uh, it, that's one of the key things that we can help them with is help them understand where uh, whether they're uh, in equipoise uh, and then help them convey that to patients because it has they have to do it in their own terms otherwise the patients pick it up. So are you suggesting that if a clinician does not truly hold in a position of equipoise that they actually shouldn't be recruiting in an RCT? I wouldn't say that quite so strongly because I think... what I'm thinking yes. is that clearly you could imagine many clinicians who ha are in the process of developing a new treatment or procedure and probably feel, as you said earlier on, maybe feel quite passionately about it, but recognise that hard evidence has to be gathered in, yes. in the fire of the randomised controlled trial, and therefore while they may believe that a treatment is potentially superior, yeah. they may have to alter their stance when recruiting patients, so they will have to express equipoise even though inside they actually feel that one treatment is better than another. Is that a fair summary? Yes, that is fair, and, uh, and I think it is possible for clinicians to do that if they believe that the gaining of the evidence is the crucial aspect of that. And uh, because what will happen if they don't really believe it is that eventually the patient will get it out of them or some patients will because um, if they continue to talk that the they won't be able to hold on to that degree of uncertainty. So it is something that can be worked at um, but there has to be that basic uh, underlying belief I think. Although um, some people can, um, uh, some people present these things better than others and communicate better with patients uh, than others on, a, on, on just a, you know, an average day level. Um, but you can certainly hear when, um, when the equipoise fails. <laughs> mm -hmm. What do you think the, the next stage of this work is? You've obviously collected quite a lot of evidence already, but where, do, where, are, you where are you taking this next? So well, we're exploring a lot of, um, uh, we're, we're working with a lot of different trials and exploring these issues and there are always subtle differences in each of these different trials. So we're still learning a lot about these things. Equipoise is one of what we call the hidden challenges to trial recruitment. So we've noticed that there are lots of things that are clearly problematic with recruitment, organisational difficulties and so on. But there are also a number of these hidden challenges of which equipoise is one. Mm -hmm. um, and. So the f the, we still need to understand the, how, those, uh, how those different hidden challenges operate. And so we're still developing training materials and things from those so that we can um, enable clinicians to discuss those issues and, and work on them. Because um, I think it, it's a shared, it's a shared um, um, process, this uh, process of recruitment. Uh, Professor Donovan, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to The Business of Discovery, a podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. I hope you'll join us again next time.